Um, I want to kind of open up, maybe some of you probably are familiar, I've kind of shared a little bit of of my past and my history, um, just through various times, um, just being in the Word together, but uh, I I gave my life to Jesus whenever, uh, it was 2001, uh, I was 23 years old, Um, a lot of of, uh, hurt, a lot of brokenness, a lot of uh, darkness and things kind of led up to that to that point um, and and uh, through that process I, I won't kind of go into details of the test my testimony itself uh, as as much as I want to kind of talk about what happened after that so there was this um, when my life intersected with Jesus it was uh, it was kind of an, one of those overnight type changes where I just kind of knew that like my priorities and my heart and everything about uh, who I was and what I cared about kind of started changing um, and immediately I, I, I just had this burden to serve, and I know a lot of you in this room, you kind of know what that feels like, because a lot of you in here are just like straight up servants, and, and that's what you desire, that's what your heart wants to, wants to do for the kingdom, um, and so that's kind of where I was at, and I was just looking for ways to do that, and, and over the next five years, through, through this process of uh, kind of just leaning into what God would, like what my purpose was in the kingdom, like how was he going to use me, um, I found myself spending a lot of time with teenagers, uh, for a couple of reasons. One, uh, I, I just I felt like I was really not matured beyond a teenager, and so I felt like I could kind of really uh, be effective there as far as just being able to communicate, I guess. Uh, but secondly, uh, my heart really, really did burden, and it really still burdens with um, with the generation that's going to kind of take the baton from from us. Um, and so through that process, God used a series of things to kind of start. Um, really honing in on what I was going to be doing in ministry, uh, what my calling would be, what I, the way I would lead, the way I would serve. Um, and it, like I said, it happened through a, a series of events. And, and as these things would happen, Ashley and I would kind of have conversations like, and this is so weird, I don't even know what he wants us to do. I don't even know what he's calling us to do. Like, I feel so inadequate. And like, there's all these things coming up to this. And then in 2006, like we were, it was April of 2006, um, I it was kind of one of those last nails in the coffin type uh, moment that I had with God, where he's like, this is what I want you to do, and this, I want you to like, take the next step. Um, and so I, I, you know, I came back, it was this, uh, this conference, this lab that we were at, um, and, and I'd come back from that, and I talked to Ashley, I said, I think this is, you know, it's, it's really kind of time to take that next step. And so we was going to start praying about what, what that was going to be, like what, what does the next step look like for us? What does that mean for us? And immediately an opportunity... Uh, presented itself for us to go and take a, pa- a part-time um, youth pastor position over in Benton. And that was 2006, and so I met Jesus in 2001, and, and the, that's five-year period um, of just kind of really him just really making marks along the way. 2006, we step in, and I'm talking about when I say uh, April 2006, he kind of confirmed what, what we were supposed to do. Um, I, I want to say it was the next month we were, we were there, we were in Denton. Like, that's how quick it happened when we said, okay, yes. Um, that's how it happened. We went through that. Um, we started doing youth ministry there. Very, uh, very small um, group of, of students who were, who, who were in that group when we showed up to, to church there. Um, and we just started loving on them and serving them the best way we knew how. Um, and, and things started going really well. Like, we, uh, we just started seeing, like, both spiritual growth and numerical growth, which is really, really cool. Uh, and so we were kind of watching that go down, and we were watching how, how teenagers were considering their part in the kingdom. Before that, they were just there to kind of like meet a guy or a girl, and then they were kind of really starting to think about 
their, you know, their part in the kingdom. Um, and about a year into this, things were really, really trucking along. Um, Ashley and I, at the same time, we both kind of felt like it was time for us to go. Like it was time for us to, to, to step away from that ministry. And we weren't ready to do that. We thought things were going really, really well. And that, that's not when God normally calls you away from a ministry. Normally he did, does that when things are in the tank and things aren't going well or, or whatever. And so for us, we were just like, no, you know, it's, it's, this is really, we've got a lot of good stuff going on here, God. So um, I, I appreciate you considering us moving on, but, you know, we've got, we got things going on here. And that started a cycle, I think, of probably about six or eight months beyond that of some of the most miserable times in my life. Um, because I was um, just really not, not just being very intentionally um, focused on following God in his footsteps. And I said, look, this thing's going really well. Um, and just, I'm talking about anxiety. I'm talking about depression. I'm talking about sleepless nights. I'm talking about it all. And it was just, it was, like I said, one of the most miserable moments that I can recall in ministry, period. Um, and so finally, we, we get about six or eight months down the road, and we're like, we surrender. <laughs> like, get off our case. Here's the white flag. Like, get, you know, we're, we're, whatever you want us to do. And the problem was, he wasn't telling us where to go. He was just telling us what to leave, right? He was just, I need you to step away. Um, and so we were really like, okay, well, that's where we are now. What do we do? Like, where do we go from here? You know, because the, the, the call to serve the, 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 the youth ministry was really much still a calling on our lives. And so we knew that, that, that where do we go from here, you know? And he really, he really didn't give those answers to us. And uh, we found ourselves um, the last day of being there in that ministry, driving away from that church, not having a clue what we were supposed to do. Literally, we were driving out of the parking lot the last day after we had kind of, you know, stepped away from that, from that ministry. And Ash and I were just looking at each other like, what, what do we do? You know, and that, that what do we do, it, it translates always into this question of, God, what are you doing? Right? And every serious Christian, every, every believer who's, who's attempted to grow in their faith, who's attempted to kind of be obedient, who's been tempted at all to kind of step in, in faith with God, they've, they've asked that question. You, you may be in this room and you've asked that question like, man, I'm going, like, God, I'm trying to be obedient, I'm trying to do this thing, but you're not showing yourself. You're not, t you're not showing all your cards. You're not telling me what you're doing. And so that's where we were at. We were like, God, what are you, what are you up to? Um, because he's supposed to tell us that, and he wasn't telling us what he was doing. And there was this apparent uh, absence, I guess. And I don't, know if, I don't know if this story kind of resonates with you, but there was this kind of absence almost that, like, God had just, he'd, he'd left. Like, he'd, he'd left, and here we are confused, and we're, and we're a little bit disappointed, and we're a little bit frustrated. And maybe even if, if you were honest and I was honest, I might have been doubting God in that moment, like, in that season. Like, I just, like, doubted the whole thing. I called my entire, call, my entire calling into, min, into ministry, just put that in the question, man. Just like, God, are you sure this is what I'm supposed to do? Are you sure this is what we're supposed to do? Um, and so I won't, I won't go beyond that, uh, that part uh, just for the sake of time and for the sake of where we're headed today, but I will say this, that God absolutely showed himself so very, very, very clear within two months but he was needing us to take that first step. Like, take that step 
of saying, I'm calling you away from this, and I don't have to tell you what I'm calling you to. I just need for you to take that next step. And so we did that with a lot of pain and with a lot of hurt and, and a, a, a lot of stuff that happened in, in, you know, in those several months leading up to that point. And he, show, he showed himself very, very clear up to that point. And that's where, um, where things that happened to Saul... Uh, we, we, we've been in the story of Acts. If, you, if you're in your Bible, we're going to be in Acts chapter 9. But you remember um, last week we saw his conversion. The, 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 uh, the persecutor himself, Saul of Tarsus, was persecuting Christians. Um, and, and right after his conversion, I guarantee you that there were things that probably left him asking these same questions. And that's why I wanted to share that story with you. And that's why I want to kind of... Kind of set up and shape where we're going to go today. Um, like his, con- like there was this this radical conversion that happened to Saul uh, on the road to Damascus, um, and and then and then what? Right? And then what do we do? What do we do now, God? Like you made this radical move into my life. We've intersected. I've surrendered. What now? And Paul, he would even tell Timothy. Uh, we, we won't turn to the text, but it's in First Timothy chapter one that his conversion. And his calling, the things that happened to him on that road and the things that happened to him afterwards is, is to be an example. It's to be a pattern for all believers um, for, for how we're to say yes to Jesus, which means that there are things about his story that should help you make sense about your story. There are things about his story that helps me make sense about, uh, about my story. I kind of know, I understand a little more. I can, I can see God a little bit more clearly. Um, and so you recall last week, um, when, when Saul, was, was his, his life intersected with Jesus, completely changed. He got up off of the ground and had to be led by the hand. He was blind into the city of Damascus. And he went to Judas's house, a place called Straight Street, right? And he's there. And the whole time, God has given him instructions. There's going to be this man named Ananias. He's going to meet you there. Um, and he's going to tell you, you know, kind of what the next steps are. And then God has this moment with Ananias himself. And says, there's this guy uh, who's coming from Jerusalem. He's blind. He's over at this house. You need to go see him. I want you to go uh, lay hands on him. And so you can, you can imagine Ananias, right? A, a little, little hesitant, knowing who Saul of Tarsus was, knowing what he was about, what his story was about. Um, and God would say, don't be, don't be scared. Like, don't, don't, don't be fearful of this guy. I want you to go and, and do this uh, to... to public enemy number one of Christianity. I want you to go to this guy's house, and I don't want you to be afraid. I want you to go do this. And that was in, in verse 15. Actually, uh, Phil, you didn't even know it, but you were reading that for us a while ago when you didn't mean to. But I appreciate it because that's where we're, that's where we're kicking off. It says, But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. And so that was, that was God's instruction to Ananias. Like, you go, I've hand-selected this guy, I've picked this guy. And he's going to go and he's going to carry the name of Jesus to the ends of the earth. And in the process of doing that, he's going to suffer for my name. He's going he's to go through a lot. And that's, there's, there's two things that just don't seem to go together there, does it? That, that, that chosen by God to suffer. Like those, those two things seem adamantly opposed to one another, right? If we're thinking about God being our good God and our good king and he loves us, and here we see that he would actually choose Saul of Tarsus to suffer. 
That, he would, that God would do that, that God was making that a priority. And, it, and, and what encourages me about this text is that it kind of blows the question out of the water. Like, suffering is something that the enemy causes, right? Like hardships and trial and suffering, isn't that something that Satan does to me? Well, maybe, but not in, not in Saul's case. God chose him for that. God handpicked Saul for that moment to, to, to suffer for his name. Suffering is, is when I do, do wrong stuff, right? Suffering is when I'm, when I'm disobedient. Suffering is when I do bad things, right? Kind of throws those questions out of the water, too, when you look at the fact that you can be chosen by God to suffer. So in these next few verses, you're going to see that Saul will suffer. And from the very beginning, he's going to suffer. And it's not just going to be as he transitions into ministry, he's going to see hardship and oppression and, 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 and all of this opposition coming his way. It's just going to be a, a normal pattern of his life to the day he dies and the cause of his death. And so I don't know, like, your, your level of theology and where you come from this morning or what you think about God. Um, but following Jesus, like, he never did tell us that we would be without suffering. As a matter of fact, he would typically point out the fact that it's really, really, really hard to follow me. He would constantly make that point. That if you're going to follow me, you're going to be hated by so many people. That this thing is not going to be easy. And it very well may cost you your life. And so I have a hard time listening to people who would come up and, and try to give a, a very poor presentation of the gospel that says, follow Jesus and all your problems go away. Follow Jesus and make all the money you can make. Follow Jesus and be as healthy as you can be. Like, do you see how anti-gospel that might seem when you think about the words of Jesus and when you actually see what God is doing here with Saul and what God will continue to do in the church even today? Like, it's really hard for me to reconcile those things. And in, the, in these next verses, we're going to see this, that this pattern is not just true for Saul. Like, this pattern of life, this, this pattern of Christianity that's going on, remember that some of the things that led Saul to the place he's at today was watching another believer get, get his face bashed in by rocks until he died from it. Right? And so this is the normal pattern for Christianity, is that you would suffer persecution and hardship and trials, and that, that God might even be a part of that, Right? That he might even be a part of that, and I hope that by the end of this, that you won't see that God's bad for that, that he's, that he's evil and that he hates you for that, but that it's his way of making you more like Jesus. It's his way of, of, of making the main thing in your life the main thing, and that is, that is him. And that's how, he, that how, that's how he goes about Christianity. So I, I hope today's time is going to give you maybe some hope regarding anything that might be going on in your life today, like right now in this moment or in this season, you might be going through a season that I experienced several years ago and that I know that I'm prone to go through it again someday, that that could very well happen for me, where it's just a dark time and it just doesn't seem like God's close at all, that he seems like he's a billion miles away 
and, and that he doesn't care, that he doesn't see, that he doesn't hear. I hope you get encouraged today by what we're going to see in these, in these verses today because Saul was, was handpicked by God. He was, he was chosen by God and he still saw opposition. He, he still saw all of these trials. Look at verse 19 of Acts chapter 9 with me. That's where we're going to pick up today. And, and remember that just kind of we're, we're, we're jumping right in where we left off last week where Ananias uh, went to that place. He met with Saul. He prayed over Saul. Saul received the Holy Spirit. The scales came from Saul's eyes. And immediately Saul begins to get up and preach the gospel. He begins to astound people with his knowledge of the gospel and his love for Jesus. And, and skepticism began to run rampant in the, in the church because of that, obviously. Um, and so here's where we are. Uh, he, was, he was fasting. He wouldn't eat. He wouldn't drink for, 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 for those days that he was blind and that he was uh, waiting to, to meet Ananias. And then in verse 19, we pick it up again. It says, and taking food, he was strengthened. So he's coming right off of this, this moment that he has with Jesus and then with Ananias. And so for some days... He was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. Now, that's very important to know because, because there were two camps of disbelief, primarily, that was, that was happening that, that existed at this time. There were the Sadducees that, that didn't believe in the resurrection, right? But then you had the, the, the Pharisees and, the, and those like Saul who, who didn't even believe that Jesus was the Son of God. And so that was his strong opposition to Jesus was that that is not the Son of God. And here we see that he says he is the Son of God. He gets up and immediately begins proclaiming the thing that he railed against for years up to this point. And all who heard him were amazed, obviously, and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And, he, and has he not come here? For this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests. But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. And when many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And when he had come to Jerusalem... He attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. So people rejected his message. Like Saul had, he, his, his entire world has been shifted, and now the very thing that he was, he was against is the thing he's now preaching, is now the message that he's preaching, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He is the divine Son that God sent. And people would reject this message. People would question his motives. Like, what's going on here? They would even try to kill him. And sometimes this is, this is your, biggest, your biggest surprise. Like, people are supposed to listen. Like, that was a big struggle, and we still go through that as, as uh, 2013 when we said, yes, we're moving into this community. We're going to plant a church, and we're going to love on our neighbors, and we're going to see a good work of God come. Man, we saw opposition on both sides, just like Saul was seeing here. Like, our neighbors don't listen. Like the, we, want, we want to like give them the words of life. We have the words of life and we want to give them to you and they won't listen. Or there's fear. Or the, like we also experienced on the other side of things, our motives were called into question by brothers and sisters. What are you doing that for? What's that about? 
Like, so this is a normal thing to go through as you try to be obedient, as you try to step in, in faith. And probably the worst of this for Saul was that most of this was coming from his fellow religious Jews, his Jewish friends, these people that he knew and that they, they kind of understood Scripture really, really well. And so here now Saul comes in and he says, hey guys, everything that we, we kind of know about Scripture, there's this, there's this part that we're missing. You know the guy you, we, we killed, right? Like, he is the Son of God. And obviously there was rejection there to a point where they want to kill him too because that, that's, uh, that's very offensive and it takes power out of their hands. But even the church didn't have Saul's back. Even the church didn't have his back. They, weren't, they, weren't, they were skeptical, right? They wasn't coming around and saying, oh, yeah, man, he, he, he met Jesus and now he's like this awesome missionary and everything. They were like, whoa, I don't know about that. So he didn't have friends on either side at this point. And so let me ask you a question. Are you ready for this? Like, are you, are you ready to step into something like that, knowing that that could very well happen to you and to me? Saying that I want to, I want to go a little bit deeper in my faith, God. I really want to kind of take the next step of obedience, and I don't know what that looks like. But if you knew for sure that it looked like you lose church friends and you lose the people that you're trying to reach, are you willing to go there? You ready for that? Because it could very well happen to be criticized, to be belittled, and to have your motives questioned. And even if it does happen, will you keep at it? Will you, will you keep at it knowing that God's called you to a good work? And it might not be this fanfare at all. Very well, you might see your, your friend list just kind of decrease a little bit. Not only just keeping at it, not only just like, being faithful, and I'm going to keep plowing regardless of what people think, but will you be bold with your witness? Like that's what the text said in verse 27, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists but they were seeking to kill him. See, I found that kind of interesting that no one was for Paul. No one was for, we'll call him Saul for the sake of where we are in the text. No one was for Saul. And he, yet we find him preaching boldly. Like, without reservation, Jesus. And what if he wouldn't have done that? What if Saul wouldn't have continued to preach boldly? there's a high probability that you and I wouldn't be sitting in this room today if he wouldn't have been bold in his message, if he wouldn't have been bold in his witness, regardless of what was coming after him, regardless of the pressure on either side. And so whose life is depending on your boldness? Like whose hope right now is depending on your boldness, of you being faithful and obedient? Who is it right now? I can tell you this, just an example for us, and as parents, you're going you're gonna to learn to, if you haven't already learned this, you will learn this. Um, it is without a doubt one of those people or one of those groups are your children. Desires you, must have you be bold for them. You see, we have, we have lost a, a few of our friends. Our, our distance has come between a few of our friends because of the boldness in the way we parent our children. Some of the things that we've done haven't been popular, haven't been status quo. 
We look at Scripture and we say, here's what we think God wants us, here's how He wants us to raise our children. And it looks so much different than the world. It looks so much different than the world. And so you get flack from all ends, right? You get, you know, even, even faithful brothers and sisters would call your motives into question. Your kids feel like they're after you. Like there's a lot of things that go on, but here's the deal, at the end of the day, they need your boldness. They need your bravery. They need your boldness, and they don't need this wishy-washy, oh, well, I'm going to do something where somebody likes me. They need, they need boldness. So who is it in your life? It might not be a, a child. It might just be a friend. It might be a coworker. But who needs you to be bold for them right now? Who needs you to speak boldly the truth in grace and in love? And there are some things that are so important that they require extreme action. Like the holiness and the purity and the goodness of my children require me to react in extreme ways because of the priority. And who else is going to do it if we don't, right? Who else will do it if we don't? And so they need that in our lives. Is not the gospel one of these same things? Is not the gospel one of those things that we must carry with, with boldness, something that we must react with extremity? It's about eternity. It's about life. It's about death. And it's worth being mocked over. It's worth being questioned over. It's worth being called into question. It's worth being the brunt of the jokes in your family. It's worth being the guy that, that you got to forsake some friendship because they just you're a different person and they won't spend time with you because of who you are and what you believe. It's worth it. The gospel's worth it. And, and Paul knew this, or Saul knew this. And th th that's my prayer. Like As I look through these, this text, God, give us more people to study and learn to defend the faith and love and boldness like Saul did. Give us more people like that who can dispute like Saul was disputing here. People who can withstand mockery and just keep going. God, we need more people in the church like this. We don't need people who are just shallow and who will just fold at the least little bit of pressure in their life. We need bold people. God, give us those people. That's what we need to be praying for. And Saul was handpicked by God he was chosen, the text would say, and he, and he saw this opposition, but this opposition became a season for him, a season of, of, of preparation, if I, if I would say it like that. Something you don't immediately see here is that there's a lot of time that passes in these verses that we're in. It looked like everything was just kind of happen, happening one after another, but, but there was, in verse 23, it says, after many days had passed. Now, Many days here means three years. Many days means three years here. So, so there's, there's a lot of time that has happened between verse 22 and verse 23. And I, and I get this just to reference it in Galatians chapter 1, verse 15. This is Paul re recounting this, this moment. And he would say, but when he who had set me apart before I was born, he's talking about God choosing him, for the sake of his name, when he set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia 
and returned again to Damascus. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. Verse 23, three years, many days. That's how long he, he spent in, in that time after his calling. Three years had passed before he met the first apostle. Three years had passed. And what was he doing in those three years? What was going on in the three years that Saul was just post-conversion before he really kind of had an assignment? There was just kind of this, this expanse of time that he was existing in. What was going on? Well, he was... Obviously, he was spending time with Jesus and he was pointing people to, to Jesus one by one. And then after these three years, he would get his first introduction to one of the pastors. He would get to finally meet Peter after three years. And then he would only spend 15 days with him and he would take off again. And when he would take off this, this time, he would go to Syria and he would go to the region of Cilicia. And then he would spend another 14 years there. That's the same thing in Galatians. He's recounting that story in chapter 2. He would say, then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. So he spent 15 days. There's just, there's, at this point, Saul of Tarsus hasn't been given an assignment. He hasn't been given this clear call about, hey, I need you to go to this place. I need you to go and share the gospel to this place. He just met Jesus. And immediately upon meeting Jesus with boldness, he began preaching Jesus. And he went all over the place preaching Jesus before God ever said, I need you to do this thing. I need you to do this thing. It was just a natural occurrence of the believer who runs his life, intersects with Jesus to preach Jesus. It was very normal. And it was very normal for the reaction that people had when you preached Jesus. Some accepted him and some hated him for it. It was very, very normal. And so what happened in those 14 years? It, we're not exactly certain what all happens, but we can get clues if you just kind of read through his other letters that he writes to other, other uh, pastors. He would, give, he would have some vision, like God would give him some visions. He would clarify his calling. He would give him some crucial insights on the gospel and about Jesus. But one thing we do know for certain is that Saul of Tarsus in this realm of time that he's existing in was persecuted a whole lot he went through a ton of persecution and he would even list in second corinthians chapter 11 he would start listing them out five times i received at the hands of the jews the 40 lashes less one three times i was beaten with rods once i was stoned three times i was shipwrecked a night and a day i was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers danger from robbers danger from my own people Danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers and toil and hardship through many a sleepless night in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold, in cold and exposure. Who wants to follow Jesus? Who wants to come along because this is what it looks like? And there's this snapshot of Saul's ministry after he left Jerusalem for the first time. This, this 14 years, that's what's going on in his life. That's what's happening. Trouble, hardship, just like God said would happen. Just like he told Ananias, go tell that man that I have worked for him. He's going to suffer greatly for my name. And even after verse 27 in, this, in our text in Acts chapter 9, he would really just kind of fade out of the spotlight. You won't even see him, him come back up until chapter 13 when he's finally given an assignment, when he's finally given some marching orders. So he just kind of goes off into obscurity after this. 
We won't see, when we walk through the, 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 the book of Acts here, we won't see him again until we get to chapter 13, which is going to be a, a little time from now. 17 years. Three years in Damascus, 14 years in Cilicia and Syria. 17 years total between the God, time that God called him, the time that God said, you go and I've chosen you to go and, and preach this name. 17 years when he's finally and officially commissioned in chapter 13 as a missionary. It took a minimum of 17 years to prepare him. And it's very, very interesting because, like, I always have this question. I know a lot of you have the same question, like, but God, why are you moving so slow on this? Like, you've called us to this thing, and we, we, we're trying to step in obedience. We're just kind of out here hanging out in midair. Like, what's going on, and why, are, why aren't you acting fast enough? Like, that's a question that I think a lot of us wrestle with. Yet this kind of delayed preparation that we see right here is so much more common than we even realize in Scripture. So much more common than you even know. We've gone, you know a lot of these stories that God would call Moses to go to Egypt and to, to lead his people out of slavery, lead them out of bondage, and then he would say, but you've got 40 years, you need to tend your father-in-law's sheep. So, like, the calling's there, but you've got, you got to stay here another 40 years. David, I don't know if you remember that story where he would come and he would be anointed, and then he would have to just kind of go back out into the pasture. He didn't get to go take the throne. He had to go back out and continue tending sheep like it's a very normal thing throughout scripture even when david later when he would finally get his first big break in the palace he would be falsely accused right and then he'd have to run away and he would spend the next decade running for his life god would tell joseph you saw what happened there i'm going to use you joseph to save israel you're going to be a savior to these people joseph and then he would be falsely accused and he would spend the next decade running for his life as well, or two decades, in the slavery, in the prison. And then finally God started working in a way that, that looked like the promise was actually going to come true. Moses, 40 years. David, 15 plus years. Joseph, 20 years. Saul, 17 years. And so we've got to be careful when we ask God, God, what, what's taking so long? What, what, what are you doing, God? So are you frustrated about what God's doing in your life? Are you frustrated with how long he's taking? What, what I want us to pick up from here today is not, not for you to waste your waiting. Don't, don't waste your waiting. Don't sit and idle thinking and wondering, well, did God just lie to me? Did he just make a false promise? And here I am, I'm just kind of stuck out in limbo, and I don't really like have the marching orders that he's supposed to give me. Don't miss what he's doing in this moment in Saul's life. He's, he's, he's in this season of preparation. He's in this moment of, of training and equipping, in, in this place of waiting, in this place where, where there's just time that, that you're just existing in. It's a place where you learn character, and it's a place where you learn patience. And that's what God needs in His people. If you're going to go and carry this precious name of Jesus to people who've never heard, you're going you're gonna to need character, and you're going to need patience and endurance, and all of these things He's wanting to equip you, and He's wanting to teach you and train you. And I know, listen, I know it's hard. I've been there. We've been there. At this moment of just waiting and just like, God, what are you doing? Like, here we are. We're just kind of in limbo here. What are, you, what are you doing? 
I don't know what that space is for you. I don't know what that moment is for you. It might be singleness for you. It might be unemployment for you. I don't know what it, what it is for you that you, fi- you find yourself just kind of waiting. But don't waste it. Look for what God's doing. It's, it's hard, but this is the place where God's going to teach you something. This is the place where God's going to make a student out of you, make a disciple out of you. And he needs that for you. Saul was handpicked by God to suffer. And if you have to choose one word that characterizes those first 17 verses, it's suffering. Like, if I could just put a banner over that, suffering. That's what happens in those verses. This time of preparation, this time of of equipping, is is fraught with suffering and, and hardship and persecution and darkness, and it hurts. And that's what God said it would be. He's a chosen instrument of mine. And I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. This is what God said would happen. Suffering is one of those, one of those tools. It's probably the, the, the primary tool that I believe God would use to train his people. So if we want to be discipled, we can expect some of this. Like if God's going to train us, train us he's going he's to bring us through hardship. He's going to bring us through trial. It doesn't mean you've done something wrong. When you're going through suffering, when something hurts, when you're in this moment of waiting and, 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 and persecution even, whatever you're going through, it's, it's not something, it doesn't mean that you've done something wrong. It just Again, I don't want you to waste it. I want you to consider this as a moment that God's preparing you for something, that he's, he's equipping you for something. He's, he's making you ready. And that word instrument that he would say, that he would, he would live, that word literally means vessel. And it's the same exact word that, 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 that would be used in 2 Corinthians when it says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay or, or vessels of clay. He's using that, that same word to show, and he would say that he wanted to do that to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. God has the power, and we don't. We are merely vessels. We are, we are conduits for, for power from someone else. We don't have power in our own. It only comes through God. That vessels are things that hold something valuable. We're not the valuable thing. We're the vessel. And we're, we're conduits. That's where, that's where the power of God is manifest. And God wanted Saul to become a vessel. An instrument of His power. And so God took him and humbled him. He said, this is how I'm going to make you strong. This is how I'm going to use you. I'm going to break everything in your life down. I'm going to humble you, Saul. And if you just read through Paul's epistles, his letters to the pastors in First and Second Timothy, when you read through all of those, you just see this humble dependence on God that he has. It's, it's really encouraging. It's, he, he'll, he'll constantly say, like, I'm nothing. I, I'm only existing in God's power. That's the only thing that's keeping me alive at this point. This is just this humble dependence that he, that he has. I don't see a guy who's, who's always there to just kind of judge me and condemn me with his words and hurt me with his words. I don't see that. What I see is just this humility. I see, I see a guy that I want to relate to. I see a guy who's, who's being used mightily by God, but he's, he's doing it in utter humility. And that he, he has the, he, he's, been, he's earned the, the badge of, of humility because of his suffering. And so where did he learn that? 
He didn't learn it through triumph. He didn't learn it through success. He didn't learn it through ministry success where every, you know, he was just real popular and, and, and had a lot of good stuff going for him. That's not where he learned humility. Weakness comes through suffering. That's where he learned it. And, and it's how you learn that weakness whenever you embrace weakness. It's the place where, where you, you learn to operate in the power of God, right? You, 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 uh, you learn how, how to tap into God's power and try to quit doing things on your own. That's what weakness will do, and suffering is where you find your weakness, right? And so it's necessary, if we're going to operate in the power of God, that we have to suffer so that we'll learn weakness and be dependent on God. And that's what God's doing for Saul in this moment. Suffering is this place where, where God would also purify our hearts. He would also purify our hearts, and He would, he would strip you and I from, from the idols that we so quickly set up for ourselves. That's the place where He takes those away. And I think about Abraham. Abraham left everything to follow God. Yes, God, I will follow you and I'll do whatever it takes to follow you. And God said that if he would follow him, said, Abraham, you follow me and I promise you, I'm going to make you into a great nation. That, that your descendants are going to populate the earth like sand on the sea. That in, in, on the beaches, and they, he, he's, I'm going to populate the earth like the stars in the sky. That you, you the people that come from you, Abraham, are going to be a blessing to the whole earth. Like these were promises that he was making to Abraham, and at the time, Abraham, being 90 years old, was childless. His wife's 80 years old. They want nothing more than to have a son. And for good reason, they've, they've given up. And here God shows up on the scene and says, the thing you want the most, Abraham, I'm, I promise you, I'm going to give it to you. And God would keep his promise, because that's what he does. God keeps his promise, and he gave him a son in his old age. His son Isaac was the most precious thing to Abraham. It was the thing that he desired the most. It was the thing that he thought would kind of just complete who he was as a person. And God finally gave that to him and it became his greatest earthly treasure. My son. The one whom God gave me through a promise. The one, the impossibility now exists. It's now possible and it resides with me. And this son became the center of all of his hopes for the future, right? God made a promise for the future that it's going to come through this son, that we're going to bless the earth. It's going to happen through this guy. And then God says, sacrifice him. I want you to haul him up on a hill. I want you to strap him down. And I want you to take his life. That's, that's a blow, man. That's, that's, that's heavy-handed. Wait a minute. You just promised all of that to me? You gave that to me, impossible. You promised that, that I was going to have a son and that we're going to carry, uh, he's going to carry this, this, this heritage and populate the earth. No explanation, no conversation, no banner back and forth, no, no debating. Just that's what's going to happen. Put yourself in Abraham's shoes right now. God, what did I do? Like, what did I do wrong? everything you said would happen has happened. Everything that you said I needed to do in order for this to happen, I've done. And here we are, and I've just been trucking along, and things have been great. What did I do? 
what did I do to make you come at me like this? What did I do to make you come at me and ask for the thing that you promised I could have? God, why are you punishing me? Why do I have to go through this? And to all of those questions, God said nothing. He said nothing. He didn't didn't give him an answer. And Abraham obeyed still. He, He obeyed still. He trusted God. He trusted Him. And so he says, okay, it's going to happen. And you, you, you walk through the story, and he carries him up there. And the whole time, you know, little, little Isaac's just asking, like, hey, Dad, what's going on, you know? Like, we're going up here, and we're going to make a sacrifice. And you have the fire, you have everything you need, but we don't actually have the sacrifice. And the whole time, man, Abraham's just going up the hill saying, God's going to provide. God's going to provide. I don't know how, but he's going to provide, son. Get on here. Let me strap you down. God's going to provide. And at the very moment he's getting ready to follow through in obedience, God says, stop. I know. I know that you desire me. I know that I am your ultimate treasure. If you're willing to do that, I I know that there is nothing you prioritize or depend on more than me. And God would go on to provide, give us a a typology, give us a foreshadowing of Christ. He would provide for himself a sacrifice that was acceptable. And so if you're in this period of waiting, if you're in this period of limbo, you're not sure what God's doing, what if this is something God's doing in your life right now? What What if you're in a season where you need idols ripped away from your hand right now? What if you're in that place? And I'm being serious with everybody in the room. You need to consider that right now because, listen, we've already learned uh, just, through that, just through the process of, of nature and everything else that we are quick to set up idols at every turn. And so what is it for you? And if you are in this place where you're just not sure what God is doing, that you know that, like, you're sure that he's called, you're sure, you're sure that his promise is going to come true, but you just don't see it happening right now, is it because he's in this period where he's just wanting to take idols from your life, things that you've set up, things that you've kind of prioritized over him? Is that where you are today? Consider that. And you see that phrase in verse 15, he is a chosen instrument of mine. He wants your heart to fully belong to him. That's what he's after. He wants you to love him. He wants you to trust him. That's what God is after. That's what God was after with Abraham. He calls you first to himself. Primarily, that's most important. And only second to a task, something to do. Right? And so if, you, if you're in this moment where, God, I'm waiting for my marching orders, it might be that you just might need to stop and be with Jesus. Because he calls you to himself first. And then in a moment, a season of preparation, years of preparation even, that he would give you actually a task to do. 17 years for the greatest missionary to ever walk the face of the earth. And so what God is doing in you, what God is doing in your life, in your season, in your moment, is just as significant as what he will do through you. It's just as important as what he's going to call you to. And because we make much of God not just by, by what we do, we, we make much of God for him. But it's, 
through who we are becoming in him. And he's preparing some of you for himself. He's preparing some of you for the calling, for, for the task. And it might be through this season. It might be through your singleness. It might be through your unemployment. It might be through your, your pain and your disappointment. And it might even be through your obscurity where I'm just kind of off the radar. God, I'm having to do this own thing, my thing on my own over here, and you're not really kind of, I don't get to be in the circle, right? It, you might be in that moment. And, and my encouragement to you, you look at this text, you see what Paul's doing, just, you need to just stop fighting him on it. Like, stop fighting and begin to ask these questions. God, are you, are you asking for something that I might be prioritizing over you in this moment? Am I in this season where I'm just kind of really not focused on you, but I'm just kind of really worshiping all kinds of other junk? Like, what you need to ask those questions. Tim Keller said this, the most painful times in our lives are usually when God is removing some cherished idol. I thought, man, that just really kind of hit home for me as I was reading through resources this week. It's just like, yes. Like, some of the most painful moments in, in our lives are those moments where God is taking things that have become idols and just hurts. And he's handpicked you and he's handpicked me for himself. And, and you have to trust him. I have to trust him. And sometimes, like, I don't know if you, you, I don't know if you picked up on this yet. If so, I'll, it'll be news to you. Most of the time, it's not even about you. All right, it, it's not even about you. You just trust him that he's going to do whatever he seems good and that you'll be used through that process. That God chose Saul also shows me, man, that he is fully in charge of advancing the gospel into the world, of, of making much of himself to the nations. Like he is fully in charge of that. You just look at the story of Saul and you see that. He's not sitting in heaven right now like, oh man, uh, this whole you know, mission that I've, that I've seen, that I was thinking about, this every tribe and, and tongue and nation and language prediction situation, I must have been a little bit premature in my thinking. I, I didn't see, like, he's not sitting up there worried about that. He's not, he's not looking into, into creation and saying, maybe I was a bit unrealistic. Maybe I was being a little bit too optimistic with this whole go and reach every tribe, nation, language, and tongue. He's not doing that. And so why are you a witness at, at work, at the place where you work? Why are you a witness at your school? Because God chose you and he said he'd use you. He, he handpicked you, and he said that he was going to use you. And sometimes this is all Saul had to hold on to. Sometimes this is all we have to hold on to, is that I know that, God, you, you picked me. You chose me. I know that much. That's a promise that I'm holding on to. And the other promise is that the gospel is going to advance. And so that's the two things I'm going to hold on to. And you see, Saul didn't... He just didn't start his ministry in opposition and in, and in suffering. His whole entire life was characterized by it. Like it was just this perpetual state of suffering and hardship that he, that he went through. And he spent his best years, his best years of ministry in obscurity and in prison. Like that was, his, that was the pinnacle of his ministry. He never made money. When he died, half the church would be like, 
my God, that guy's awesome. But you know, there was another half of the church that would look at Saul of Tarsus and say, that guy is an egotistical maniac. Like, that's how he would go down. That's how he would go down in history, just kind of a split attitude. He would be executed by, by Nero, and his body would just be discarded. You know, there's not like a grave that we get to go and see where the Apostle Paul is buried today. Because scholars say he was likely just kind of discarded out of the city and eaten by wild dogs. The greatest missionary to ever walk the face of the earth. That's how it went for him. And we see now that God was behind all of it. Right? Like we can see that now. We can see the story. You've got the whole scripture now and you see the whole story. But guess what? Saul didn't see it that way. He didn't, he, he didn't have the, 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 the picture that, that we had. The only thing that he had was trust. That's all he had. He was trusting in God's promise. That's what he, that's what he went with. And so from, from our perspective now, we can see that, man, Saul won. Like he came out on top. But I guarantee you, if you were talking to Saul when he was writing his letters from prison, he said, this feels a lot like losing. It doesn't feel like winning to me at all. And so from your perspective, where you are today, where you are right now, does it feel like you're losing? Feel like you, 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 you can't get there? Feel like God's taken something from you? Don't you think that he would be just as faithful to you as he, would, as he was to Saul? Did you believe that? That you are a chosen instrument and God's purposes for you cannot be stopped. It cannot be stopped. It cannot be slowed down. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So when I'm opposed, when people come at me, when my motives are questioned, I'm responding with boldness. That's what I want. When God is delaying, when, it, when my timeline and God's timeline doesn't match, whenever he's taking many days to accomplish his purpose, what he's promised, I'm going to respond with faith. I'm going to believe that I'm picked by God, hand-picked, hand-selected by God for something. And I'm going to trust in that. That's all i got to hold on to. And when I suffer, when I come up against hardship and persecution, I'm responding with resurrection hope. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed. Perplexed but not driven to despair. Persecuted but not forsaken. Struck down but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that in the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, it is with a great hope and a great expectation that your word has, um, Father, gone out and worked on hearts the way it's worked on my heart. And I'm so thankful, Father, for your promise. I'm so thankful I am so very thankful that if you wouldn't give me another day of breath, 
that you have given me so much more already than I deserve. And so I praise you for that today. Lord, it was... It is with a, a, a longing expectation that you would draw near to us, that we would... And we could feel you in this moment, that we can hear from you, that we would know that you're here. And so sometimes, Father, our idols get in the way and we feel like you're far away, that you're a great distance from us, that you've called us and you just won't come through, that you won't deliver on the promise. Lord, let us be reminded that when we call your, quest, when you're, when we call your promises into question, that the enemy is sure to be at work in us. It is the oldest play that he has in his playbook to question your promise. And so let us be reminded, Father, that if things don't look the way we thought they would look, if where we're at today is not at all where we thought we were supposed to be at this point in life, you're still good but you still very deeply love us and that whatever you promise will absolutely come to fruition and so I pray Father over this room that we would be encouraged today I know it's Father it seems hard to, to ask for encouragement in such a a hard passage where we see your chosen instrument enduring suffering and hardship and, and, it, and it be your will. But Father, I hope that we can really embrace the reality that in our moments of suffering and in our moments of weakness is where we depend on you most and so that's what you've carried us to today. It's not because you hate us and it's not because you're mad at us. It's because you desire us to be completely dependent on you, the author and the perfecter of our faith. And so we're, if we're in a moment, in a season right now of, of, of hardship, of brokenness, or a place of just distance from you, Lord, let those words ring true. That these are all means to, to draw us closer to you. And so would you do that in this moment? We love you and we ask these things in your precious son Jesus' name. Amen.